In the spring, a young man's fancy lightly turns to thoughts of love. Well, most people's fancy, probably. But in the summer, let's be honest, it's probably more about fruit. There's just so much fantastic produce around. Cherries, melons, stone fruit. I sometimes feel at the market as if there are more varieties of fruit and veg than I've ever seen. And tracking down the best isn't always easy. Tan Trung is a second-generation fruiterer who's sharing his tips in a new book with the cheeky title, Don't Buy Fruit and Veg Without Me. Tan, welcome. Thank you for having me. And I should mention too that Tan is wearing the most incredible jacket with watermelon and bananas <laughs> and pineapples and strawberries on it. It looks like a, a, that hat in the movie in the 40s, you know, the giant fruit <laughs> yeah. hat. Um, you say at the start of this book, Tan, that uh, unlike anyone born from the 90s onwards, you have actually tasted the true taste of fruit and veg. <laughs> what happened in the 90s? Well, I mean, true taste is, is, is quite a word. Yeah. What I'd like to say is that... Yes, fruit was different before, and I think a lot of people will resonate with that, having, you know, nostalgic memories when they were young of a really juicy and aromatic peach or a mango that suffocates you when you're in the car and you've got to wind down the window. And yes, of course, things have changed. We can't stop progression. Um, But I guess for me, having grown up in a fruit store when I was a kid, as a second generation fruiter and then growing up working for the supermarkets in fresh produce as a national buyer and now working in the markets, I can see both good and bad produce, but it's not very evident or obvious to people that aren't in the industry. So I think a great example of that is say mangoes. We used to have mangoes that used to smell really bright, that used to come and used to be a huge flush, but now they seem to be different. There's different varieties on the on the you know in on the shelves and they do taste different. So and and like similar with apples as well. We have much different variety apples and people might say they didn't taste like they used to, but then also we have apples 12 months of the year. Yeah. Right? Is that a good thing though? Does that mean those apples are kind of sitting in storage losing their flavour incrementally? Yeah. <laughs> well, I did a lot of research with the CSI. Well, I didn't do the research. I, I basically just asked <laughs> the CSI. The <laughs> I harvested the research. I love the puns here. Um, I harvested the research from the CSIRO team and to figure out if there was nutritional loss in apples that were stored more than 12 months. And the answer to that is not really. Be- so no nutritional loss. What no. about taste though? Yes. So they're two different streams, right? So nutrition isn't lost, but you will have a different eating experience. So it might not be as crunchy. It might be a little bit flowery. It might actually be a little bit sweeter, but actually the balance between sourness and sweetness is very important in fruits. So nearly all fruits, if we just imagine, you know, you can name anything that you, you that, that comes to your head, whether it's pineapples, blueberries, apples or grapes, they all have a, an element of sourness and sweetness or bitterness or another kind of flavour. And the balance of those flavours is really important. So I talk about in my book how people may, or Aussies may say that, Fruits and vegetables don't taste like they used to, but they can't define it. And I don't know, when was the last time you had a glass of wine, Hillary? Pretty recently. Pretty recently, <laughs> right? Most of us love to drink wine, but often we drink a glass and we we like it, but we can't explain why. We, we can't explain, you know, because of, you know, the the acid or the length or however we describe it. We just enjoy it. And yeah, the same- I can't taste blackberry in there, <laughs> let's be honest. Well, the same goes for fruit. We love a mango, we love a peach, but we don't. We can't describe it. And so I go to these lengths to define what is a good fruit. And so that, 
you know, if you have that nostalgic experience, you can go back and say, well, I loved that mango because not only was it really fragrant and perfumey, but it was firm. It wasn't soft. And then when I cut through it, it wasn't stringy. And actually, even though it was a bit juicy, it wasn't actually just bleeding down my hand, but actually when you bit into it, the flesh held all the juice together and it was really tangy, it was really sour, it was really sweet, and it left a lingering kind of taste in my mouth. When you describe it like that, you know what to look for again. Is it also about scarcity? Like if you can only get mangoes for two weeks a year, do you have that memory stronger in your head than if it's like, ah, they turn up, you know, five months out of every 12? Well, I think when you're younger, food memories are quite strong. And certainly the first time you have... Um, the fruit. It's the strongest memory you have. And even um, as we go back into seasons, like right now, there isn't much seasonality in a lot of fruits because we can have them all year round. But for instance, mango season's coming upon us and stone fruit season is coming upon us and we don't have them for 12 months of the year. But the first mango you generally have for the season is the one that you kind of like, oh, it's mango season again. I, you know, it's reminiscing me of the flavours. It's reminiscing me of like cut grass and spring and summertime. And, and so, you know, we, we get those memories back again. But then as the season goes along, we don't have that anymore. And I think, for instance, apples and bananas, the two most sold fruits in a store, are totally taken for granted every day. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> Remember the banana drought? There was just like yes. this terrifying time for my, my kids were small at the time. It's like, what am I going to mash for them to eat? We would just totally took them for granted. Yeah, with Cyclone Yasi when bananas turned out to be more than $10 a kilo. So yeah. I think the definition of a good fruit, which I say is a number of different factors. First, it's the smell, mm. the aroma, so the sense of the nose. Second, is the actual texture, so the mouthfeel when you're biting into it, and third is the flavour. When it reaches all three of those uh, senses and you can describe those flavours, that's a really good different definition of a good fruit. We're speaking with Tan Trung, who's a second-generation fruiter. I think it shows. He's written a book called Don't Buy Fruit and Veg Without Me, and you can find him online too as the fruit nerd. Now, you mentioned, Tan, before that, you know, you can still find the the good fruit. It's not all about, you know, rosy nostalgia and it's all crap now. <laughs> but does that mean that you can still find the good stuff in the supermarkets or do you have to go a bit further afield to the markets? No, absolutely. You can, fi- you can find them everywhere. And it's because of how the industry has developed. So say 50 years ago, half a century ago, um, most consumers and most Aussies would have a stronger connection to farmers. They might go to a farmer's market. Um, The fruit store might have closer connections to farmers. Um, But also our selection was much more limited. We didn't have things from overseas. We didn't have things from Queensland or Darwin. You know, transport just couldn't couldn't manage that. Um, Especially, and and I remember and I recall some of the old the old fruiteries in the market saying that they used to hand stack watermelons that came from Queensland and Darwin off the train, hand stack each watermelon, and they were in bins of hay, right? We just don't have that anymore. So the way that produce is selected today, so let's fast forward basically 50 years, is that produce is selected based on aesthetic appeal and shelf life, two very important factors. Firstly, if it doesn't look good, because we overcompensate with our eyes to look for things that look good, it's the most important factor. And the second thing is shelf life because we live very busy lives. You know, if you, if you pick a, if you purchase a banana and it's yellow turning black, brown, 
you, you know, if there's six of them on that bunch, you're probably going to waste one or two of them. So they, they're actually harvested green so that by the time they reach to us, we have a bit of time to eat it, maybe even three or four days. It, it can survive the rigours of a kid's child, uh, you know, lunchbox where it's rock, ru- you know, rattling side to side. And so within every either supermarket, fruit store, um, marketplace, there are fruits that are ripe on the tree and ripe, not ripe on the tree within, within the display because it's only been picked for shelf life and visual appeal. And my book goes through ways in which you can seek out those traits, whether it's a mango or an apple. And so that will allow you to have a better eating experience because for me, you know, we've had really good experiences eating fruit when we were younger, but in order to have them again and to give them to our children, we need to have the knowledge to get the best eating fruit so they don't pick up, you know, the chocolate bar or the chips and, you know, they go for the better eating fruit. Yes. Well, let's talk a little bit about apples because I guess that's something that a lot of people buy. You said before we've got more varieties now than we had a few decades ago, like certainly still a drop in the ocean compared to the number of apple varieties. How do you tell what's a good apple when you're looking at it in the supermarket and you know that it's been bred to be, I don't know, big and shiny? Yeah. I I guess there's a a couple of points to that. My, my, My ultimate tip, and I love Fuji apple, is that a flat-bottomed Fuji has ripened on the tree because what's happened is as an, as the fruit reaches its maximum maturity in terms of being left on that tree for an extra week or two, it expands sideways. And so the, the, the bottom where the blossom flower is flattens out. And so it's not only going to be a little bit sweeter, maybe 10 or 15% sweeter, but it's also going to have a more complex flavour. And there's going to be, you know, a good match of sourness and sweetness. But the thing that I would say with picking apples at a fruit store is look for something that's quite firm. Even if it's a variety like firm gold that's quite flowery and, you know, not as crunchy as, you know, your modern jazzes and whatnot. Because what's going to happen is when you bring it home, you're you're most likely going to store it between one to 10 days. And that depends on your lifestyle. But if you don't keep that in the fridge and you use a fruit bowl, the skin is has pores and it's going to continue to dehydrate. Now, after 24 to 48 hours, it might have lost 2 to 3 to 4% of its water content. And so it's not going to be as crunchy. And so for a grower who has spent the whole year growing that apple and then for a cold storage facility to manage that apple in a facility for six or seven months until you eat it and then we leave it on the table, for me it's almost disrespecting something that is alive and it's still alive. And as a fruiter, I watch as, you know, bananas turn from green to yellow or yellow to brown or leafy veg that's bright become whittled by the end of the day. So my book goes through ways to not just purchase fruit that is good tasting, but also uh, store it in the correct way that it lasts longer, that you can keep it, that it will eat in the, its best condition so you don't have a poor experience. And we know that the most expensive Fruit and veg is the one that we don't eat that get that gets wasted. So yes, a huge problem <laughs> in Australia. And I love too the tip time that you put uh, leafy veggies and herbs in a, a damp towel and mm-hmm. then in a plastic bag in the in the fridge. Oh, it's just life changing for me. But on that issue of disrespect, I was just fascinated to notice that the wholesale price of tomatoes is almost the same now as it was thirty years ago. Even though inflation on a basket of food has apparently gone up one hundred and three percent in that time, what's going on? There? Are we really, really disrespecting the tomato farmers? Oh, that's a that's a very 
I mean, I did write about this and it's a very complex issue. In its simplicity, economies of scale. I mean, today the modern tomato grower doesn't grow like five acres. The modern tomato grower grows a thousand acres and it's glasshouse grown. The plant no longer produces for two months of the year, which is just summer. The plant produces for 10 months of the year. And the types of, and, and I do write that tomato is probably the most high tech. It's probably a, a, you know, an industry that's more similar to a tech industry than it is uh, horticulture or agriculture because of the fact that, you know, there's so much technology involved. Um, it's high yielding. There's so many different varieties and they understand the physiology of the plant so much. Is so, that why it's also one of the most disappointing things? Like if you've had the beautiful, rich, luscious, balanced between sweet and bitter tomato of your youth and then you pick up this flowery cardboard blob, it's just so horrible. Well, Yes and no. I mean, I think we it's also because of that knowledge. You know, people might have a truss field grown tomato and have the most amazing experience or aroma tomato that's made of passata, but then go to the shops and then purchase something that's in a punnet that's a small mini Roma. And they're not realizing that that tomato was grown for a specific purpose and not the purpose that they remember for, not one that's grown and cooked for a passata or not one for a salad or, or you know, a, a dish that they're going to create. That's a snacking tomato meant for, you know, a child's lunchbox. Or, you know, there are certain tomatoes that are grown that have very little water content. So they don't make your sandwich soggy. We, 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 we don't have the knowledge that we've developed these different types of tomatoes for different purposes. So if we don't purchase the right tomato, we will have that experience because we're comparing it with, even though it's a tomato, tomatoes aren't all the same. So oh. that's that's my answer to that question. Apples ain't apples. <laughs> apples tomatoes ain't tomatoes. tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> Michael in Canberra says, we paid more for the tasty vine-ripe tomatoes and now vine tomatoes are thick-skinned and tasteless. So the tomato buyers lament. Just to finish up with Tan, uh, can you please ask why jazz apples are always so good? It's a jazz, big jazz apple industry yeah. <laughs> text message there. But I guess that comes back to the things that, you know, you like about an apple, doesn't it? That's right. And and also the jazz has the genetics of all the great traits that we want in an apple. It's got, it's dense, it's crunchy, it's, it's sweet, but its sourness is not overbearing. And so it's taken, you know, companies years to develop and graft these, you know, basically these trees that from 10,000 trees every year, they pick the best hundred trees with best fruits. And then they, they take those hundred trees and then, you know, every three or four years keep trying to develop a better apple. And so, you know, we're very blessed in that way. Um, I can say with, with the tomatoes, I know, I know there's a, you know, there's very much a, a strong opinion on old tomatoes, but I, there are tips in my book that you will be able to select vine-ripened tomatoes that do taste really good. Um, and it's a bit of science and also a bit of nostalgia where a nonna taught me how to wick the top of the shoulder of a tomato and smell the gold dust. And if it was sweet on the outside, it'd be sweet on the inside. And then I went to some tomato growers and they told me that that that's an oil that secretes out of the skin and it's a show of a healthy plant. Wow. So, you know, when these two things match, it's just harmony. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I do hope that people um, can, you know, read my book or find me online to um, to find better ways to choose, prep, store and cook produce and, and it will enrich their lives. Yep, keep your jazz apples in the <laughs> fridge. Tan, great joy chatting to you today. I wish we got to jackfruit and oranges, yeah. but perhaps another time. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Tan Trong's new book, Don't Buy Fruit and Veg Without Me, is out now.
ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.